A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's a bright and breezy Monday morning, everyone, and the government has officially given you permission to have a barbecue. But if you didn't already have one over the weekend, you're probably in the minority. Beaches were mobbed all over the country. Car parks and beauty spots were full to overflowing. Street parties were taking place and a few hundred idiots even found time to demonstrate against the police in central London in solidarity with their American brothers, who they usually hate for being American. They weren't doing any social distancing. They were shouting anti-police slogans. Uh, They were behaving disgracefully. What I can't understand is why Sadiq Khan or anybody else in charge of this city in London is allowing it to go on. These people have got about four more events planned for this week alone. Wednesday, there's going to be another peaceful protest. Saturday, uh, they're going to be outside the American embassy peacefully protesting. This has got to stop, hasn't it? It was all very much as I predicted on Friday. Telling people they could do something from Monday was always going to lead to everyone doing it on Saturday and Sunday. More and more pubs are opening up and operating as if they are actually back to normal. And today is the day that primary schools welcome back their pupils from year one and year six. According to reports this morning, supermarkets have ordered 60 million sausages, 20 million burgers and 126 million beers. Apparently, it's party time. 0344 499 1000. Let us know what's happening in your neck of the woods. Are you keeping your children home? Did you go to the beach? Are you getting ready to book a holiday? Let us know. You are the eyes and ears of the independent republic of Mike Graham and you know what to do. Here's the number. 0344 499 1000. Last weekend threw up another collection of hypocrites of course none worse than Labour whip Rosie Duffield who last week was calling for the sacking of Dominic Cummings for breaking lockdown rules but who it turns out was breaking the rules herself to have secret trysts with her married lover what is it with these lefties and their lust for life and their need to have illicit sort of sexual encounters with people uh, during the time when they're telling everybody else what to do. 0344 499 1000. It must be great to be in the Labour Party. Steer, uh, Steer Karmer, Keir Starmer, uh, of course, has said that he would have sacked Dominic Cummings. Uh, is he going to sack Rosie? I don't think he is, you know. Which makes him, yes, you've guessed it, a hypocrite, forensic or otherwise. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we have a host of guests, including Peter Hitchens, on the lockdown latest, and Professor Carol Sakura on why he believes the coronavirus is weakening 
awakening and may longer even exist, may no longer even exist rather, in Italy. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've got much to do uh, and uh, three hours in which to do it. And I want you to listen very carefully to every single word that is uttered on this show, because this is where common sense emanates from. This is where you will find the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What you will not find is a relentless and ludicrous pursuit of a man uh, for whom a story is no more. A man for whom uh, the story is over, dead and buried. Dominic Cummings will not get a mention on this show uh, because nobody wants him to leave. Nobody thinks he should leave and nobody in their right mind uh, is of that opinion. Alistair Campbell has gone stark staring bonkers mad. We'll talk about that later on. Let's talk now, though, first of all, about the most important subject of all. And that is, has the coronavirus weakened to such an extent as I said it had last week? Where in Italy, they're now saying it may have disappeared altogether. Carol, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for yeah. joining us. Fascinated, fascinated by your tweet this morning, uh, Professor Carroll, uh, from the story Reuters have written from Italy, uh, in which they're saying that the viral load and the weakness of the virus now uh, is so small uh, as, to, as to suggest that it may have uh, more or less become um, sort of impotent, if you like. Yeah, um, it's great coming from Italy because I think all these images we saw right at the beginning of this are etched in our minds, etched in our minds of the overflowing hospitals unable to cope with the peak of Corona. Now, several physicians in Italy, including one of the directors of the leading hospital in Milan in northern Italy, has said something's changed. And it, it does look as though something's changed. The severity of the infection in people when they do these nose swabs, the number of genomes, the number of virus particles in there has dropped right down, even in the positive cases. Positive. cases. So it's as though the virus is sort of is, 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 is becoming milder mm. and uh, I guess the truth is it wants to live with us. And uh, the only way to do that is to be like SARS, to sort of insinuate itself into our society and allow us to live with it. That's yes. probably what's happening. It wants to dance with us. And I, I had a conversation last week with uh, a colleague of yours from the medical fraternity. And I said to him, is it like the hurricane force winds that come and batter the east coast of America, where I spent a great deal of time? And when they hit the land, the hurricane force winds become less strong because the wind literally is knocked out of them by hitting the land. And as they travel across the land, uh, the winds get smaller and smaller and smaller until they diminish altogether. Absolutely. And what we don't know about this virus is why it exists. Why do these tiny viruses, the lowest form of life, um, so much simpler than us, it has 30,000 bases on its genetic material, and we have, have 6.4 billion in each single cell of our body. And here we are, society flattened by this tiny, tiny form of life. And why is it there? I guess it's there because it, it can be there. And it, it's, it's like a computer virus. It can just keep going as long as it wishes. So as a society, we've got to get out of here. And I've been an eternal optimist. I've also been accused only this morning of being a Boris stooge. How about that? <laughs> uh, that's, what, uh, that's what happens when you try and be an optimist. You're accused of being a government stooge, a government placement to make yourself look independent, but really spewing out the government line. So I can assure everybody, your listeners, Mike, that I'm not. 
Well, I can assure plenty of listeners out there and those who know you well uh, that you've been quite critical of the government in various different ways uh, over time that I've been speaking to you. And so I can absolutely attest to that. There's nothing wrong with being the home of common sense, which is what we are here at Talk Radio. You know, we talk common sense. What we don't do is hysterically um, point at people and say, you should have done something other than what you did. Why didn't you do this back in February? I mean, there are some sections of the media, Professor Carroll, who would say to Boris Johnson if he provided a cure for coronavirus, well, why didn't you do that back in February? That would be their first question. You know, not fantastic news that you found a cure, but why didn't you do it? So, I mean, you know, we live in a very febrile atmosphere. Absolutely. It is toxic, this whole business. But we've got to get out of here and we've got to carry the population with the us. Population with us, And people are dead scared. There's no doubt. And that was the strategy at the beginning, to scare people into mm. staying at home, which worked. OK, a minority broke the rules and that always happens. But by and large, British public, fantastic. Now we're coming out. Now is the critical period. It's tricky. Uh, and it's tricky because remember, 2.6 million people got that letter on April the 7th telling them to stay indoors for 12 weeks, mm. not to come out at all. These are people that are either older or or combination of being older and with vulnerable health conditions. Uh, Cancer is one of them, and that's my specialty. It's difficult now for them to come out. They feel scared. They feel afraid. So we've got to gradually get things back to normal. Forget the economy. We've got to get society back to normal, and then the economy will follow, and people will be back at work, and all the rest will happen. Yes. Well, certainly today is a very much a a watershed day for me because things like IKEA are opening up. Uh, Lots of businesses are going about i got an email from a couple of uh, organizations that i deal with and have dealt with you know in the past that i pay on a monthly basis like car leasing companies car showrooms that kind of thing they're all opening up today they're coming back to work you know it's very clear that by the middle of june um we will be looking at a very much more open economy and if you saw what was going on at the weekend uh, carol surely you would say you may say there's some scared people out there but but an awful lot of people don't seem to be scared at all when you look at the beaches you look at the center of london there's a demo going on there's a there's a nightclub party going on in east london i mean it seems extraordinary i know and you know sometimes we go overboard it is the relief of getting out of here and this is the critical time and you know just to show i'm not a government spokesperson i would say the the testing the tracing program is in its it's just an embryo of mm. it now the testing is not efficient we're, we're not there yet uh we'll we'll get there but it is slow and you know the other thing that i've just heard that i've just heard that double counting of the numbers so you test uh, one person gets tested by putting a nose swab and a throat swab and that's counted as two tests which mm. it clearly isn't if it's in the same patient same yes. person so there, we, we've got to get moving though we've got to get society moving. we've got to break the deadlock this hysterical fear reaction uh sure we've got to protect the vulnerable and they've got to take precautions but you know getting out of bed is a risky business every day if you stayed in bed all day you wouldn't have any have any risk at all well i suppose a plane could land on your house that's the only risk you suffer <laughs> yes but once you go out you cross a road you're subject to risk and we're used to that yeah, of course. Julie Hartley Brewer had a guest on this morning on Breakfast who was talking uh, from the House of Lords about how, you know, particularly elderly people now need to use their common sense. It seems as though there's been this kind of slavish um, belief that you ha- can only do what the government allows you to do. Um, now they're sort of seemingly trying to change that that message slightly to say, well, look, if you are somebody who is vulnerable and you are worried about your mental health and therefore you want to go out, you should not fear going out. You should weigh up 
what it is that you're risking and you should also behave responsibly and stay as far away from people as possible cover your mouth if necessary with a mask and wash your hands a lot you know i've been traveling on the train to london which has been empty i live about half an hour away yeah. and it's great because you get a coach because you get a coach to yourself there's no the whole carriage is mm. empty uh you know people are working from home around here and all the rest of it but when you get there one morning earlier this week i took the 18 bus last week i took the 18 bus which goes from down harleston from sudbury in down the marylebone road to euston and it's full of people that have to work. If they don't go to work, they don't get paid. Mm. And there's not much social distancing possible on the number 18 bus, I can tell you. And it's right. the same for other people that have been commuting. Right. Have been commuting. And that, that's the key point. If the virus load is coming down, even with this beginning now, and transport is getting busier, we're going to win. Uh, but it does require confidence. It does require us schools to go back. So we start getting back to normal. You could always argue, and there will always be the doom Doomsday people that will say this is dreadful, it's not going to work, we're all going to die, and so on. Uh, you know, it's easy to be a doomsday person because you can always say if the, if if, it, if, disaster, if disaster strikes, you can just say I told you so. Yeah. And if it doesn't strike, you say I saved you from the disaster. Yes. So how can you lose if you're a doomsday person? Yeah. I can lose because my reputation on the basis that we're going to get out of this in the next month or two, and life will go very much back to the old normal, not the new normal. Yes, I mean, I think looking around the world, we can see from what the experiences of other countries that, you know, there is life after coronavirus. You know, you can go out uh, into a piazza in Italy now and, and sip a cappuccino if you so wish. You can go out uh, to the beach in Spain. Although it's interesting, I think, that both Greece and Spain have come out and said they're not very uh, welcoming to British tourists at the moment because we've got such a high incidence of the coronavirus. I think a lot of that is a sort of revenge, if you like, tit for tat for our quarantine problem. Mm. I just hope the government rethink it. It's just not thought through. Like a lot of this stuff, it's policy made on the hoof. You can almost see them doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got to have, you know, we've got to have a proper quarantine policy if we if we're going to have one at all. And you know, the common travel zones, air bridges, or whatever you call them, seems a much better way. We are coming right down now. We're we're not bad. And holiday places like Spain and Greece want to open up. To us, there's no doubt the tourist trade, the hospitality industry is being completely flattened, and we ought to get moving. The only parts of the world where it's still difficult is Latin America because mm. they've gone into this late because and they're still going through, still going through quite a sizable pandemic in Brazil, for example, Peru, Chile. Uh, but they'll go down and they can then join the common travel policy. I hope because I'm, one of my granddaughters lives in Peru. I wanted to come back for the late summer this mm. year. So I think as we move, things will get relaxed. But we've got to be very careful about the rules we set up for the future. Right. And I've seen people saying this weekend for the first time that one of the things that will be good that comes out of this pandemic is that we will know how to deal with the next one perhaps slightly better. And it strikes me that, talking of doom and gloom, we've been far too wedded to these kind of computer models of what could happen and what might happen and how many people might die. And it seems to me that we always seem to get that slightly wrong. It errs on the side of caution, and I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at what the predicted numbers of deaths were, worst case scenario uh, that everybody was so frightened of, you know, we need to surely get better at that. 
we do. And there's no doubt, you don't get fired as an epidemiologist if you predict disaster and predict disaster and it doesn't happen. Mm. But if you do get a disaster and you don't predict it, that's it, you, you get the sack. Right. So uh, if we look at what's happened with the models, the NHS is using the epidemiologist model, uh, the idea that there will be a second wave in September, it'll run into winter pressures and we're all doomed and we're not going to get the NHS kick-started. If that happens lots of cancer patients won't get treated and they'll die of their disease so we've got to have a balance here let's assume let's assume that that is one possible scenario but let's say that's i think a rather remote scenario and it's i think it's just likely to fizzle out as it seems to be doing in europe mm. and let's just get moving there's been no recurrence in the countries that came out of lockdown just after easter on the 14th of april so i think the time has come to actually move forward positively to keep the epidemiologists in their little box for now and, and let's move forward cautiously measuring as we go that's the only way we'll get, that's the only way we'll get out of here no doom and gloom we've got to move forward otherwise the disaster scenario is that other diseases won't get treated yes and what about uh, the schools going back today we're hearing uh, from quite a lot of different parts of the country that a lot of parents are still not sure and they're keeping their children at home what would you say to them obviously nobody's going to make them send their kids to school um, but it's better if they go presumably for all sorts of reasons it is, but it is a personal choice, it's a personal uh, choice. Uh, you know, small children, they don't really have much of a say in it, but certainly the, the, the parents have a say what they're going to do. You know, some will say, well, it's not worth it for a few weeks of education. The mayors will wait till September. Others will say, we need to get moving. Mm. And others will actually need them to go back to get back to work. I mean, a lot of people are dependent on schools for childcare, essentially. Yeah. Uh, they need to get back to work financially. And I think we, we, forget, think how, we forget how differentially this is affecting poorer people in the UK. Uh, you know, they are the ones that are really suffering economically. They don't have salaries that are just carried on mm. or furloughs, which they get 80 percent. They have nothing. And I think it's really important. The schools are part of normalization. And OK, we have to do social distancing at the school gates and all that sort of thing. My grandchildren are going back to school. I think it's great. I, I think we really have to get moving. I know, get moving. I know that everyone's nervous, uh, but... It's not happened. No disaster happened in Austria and the schools went back nearly eight weeks ago now. And so let's just cautiously move forward on that if we can. But it is an individual parental decision. It can't be anything else. No, of course. Professor Carol Sikora, thank you very much indeed. Former chief of the World Health Organization Cancer Programme, dean of medicine at the University of Buckingham, looking splendid uh, in his garden there because like many people today, he will be taking advantage of the government's new, uh, shall we say, easing of the lockdown, uh, which says you can have a barbecue. Put the sausages on, put the burgers on. Uh, certainly, uh, you don't have to be that unimaginative. You can do chicken if you wish. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's right now, though, talk to Chris Hobbs, former Metropolitan Police Officer, because uh, if you saw some of the antics of some of the people at the weekend, in London in particular, you would think to yourself, what's going on? Why are people doing what they are doing? It started in Peckham on Saturday, believe it or not. Uh, I actually put a tweet out saying, you know, it's the Association of Planks Peckham Division uh, because they started this no justice, no peace marching, uh, which was clearly against uh, the social distancing uh, rules and regulations and certainly the guidelines. Uh, but also uh, they then had a massive demo yesterday, uh, starting off in Trafalgar Square, going to Downing Street, uh, where loads and loads of people were huddled together, shouting epithets at the police, F the police, no 
no justice, no peace, all of which, of course, is in solidarity uh, with the terrible happenings in Minneapolis last week, uh, where a, a black man was murdered, uh, literally, by a police officer who has now been charged with his murder. Uh, America is in flames. There's lots of reasons why that's going on. America is a very different country to this one. Um, what I'm worried about is that this organisation, uh, Black Lives Matter, is saying that they're going to have four more demos over the course of this week. And I think Sadiq Khan should step in and do something about it. Let's talk to Chris Hobbs and see what he makes of it. Chris, a very good morning to you. Yeah, hi, Mike. Yeah, listen, I mean, you and I have spoken about police uh, and the difficulties of policing certain things uh, over time. They, they had to go to East London, the riot police, to, to break up a, a, an illegal street party where they had a DJ, where there was people drinking, enjoying themselves, you know. Now, normally speaking, you wouldn't be saying that that's illegal, but under the current circumstances, it is. And it's been a pretty tough weekend for the cops, I'd say. Yes, it has. And, uh, yeah, they're not best pleased. I mean, they haven't been best pleased throughout this crisis. No. Obviously, what went on in Trafalgar Square um, really, I thought, was was stupid. Right. Sheer stupidity. And there was a guy interviewed on, on Sky News, and he basically said, yes, I'm willing to die to stop racism. In other words, to get COVID. Yeah. And and you you have to think, well, you might be, mate, but not necessarily the person you're standing next to. Well, exactly. Um, I mean, looking at Sadiq Khan's uh, various outpourings over the weekend, um, he's made no comment about this demonstration that went on yesterday, which was dangerous uh, with with regards to COVID, dangerous with regards to health and safety, I would have thought, Uh, caused uh, all sorts of problems for the police. It was it was anti-police. He says this, any accusations of excessive force used by police in London are taken extremely seriously by the Metropolitan Police and myself. Uh, The Metropolitan Police understand that community trust and engagement has to be continually and consistently consistently earned and worked on together. I mean, you'd think he'd make some mention of the fact that there's hundreds of people illegally gathering um, to march against the police who haven't done anything. Yeah, I think that is the concern that the events in the States, and, and let's face it, as you just said, um, the incident itself was absolutely horrible. And on police social media here, I mean, everyone was absolutely livid. No question. Uh, absolutely fuming. Yeah. I think as far as Peckham goes, um, I, I watched that on social media and I thought, well, yeah, all right, they're out in the open air, they're, they're, they're walking, uh, maybe not so bad. And it's peaceful. It was peaceful. But all of a sudden, over the weekend, and Diane Abbott wrote an article in the Huffington Post that I'd love to reply to, but yeah. I know the Huffington Post won't entertain it. Right. Um, but she basically, as we saw over on Sunday, transferred the issue of America to the UK. Mm. Um, and yesterday you had on, on Twitter, and I think at the demonstration, lists of, of black people going back over 30 years right. that have been died at the hands of the police. Um, the actual figures are surprisingly low, um, maybe still disproportionate, but are surprisingly low. And I, I, We dug them out yesterday. Um, in terms of people who've died in police custody. Now, one, one is one too many. Yeah. But at the moment, you, you, you have got this, what, what seems to be a bit of a vendetta starting against police. I'll read you one tweet yesterday yeah. that came yesterday, Mike, from a copper. Mm. Um, and this is after all the stick police were getting on the TV and, of course, on social media, a huge amount on social media from people supporting Black Lives Matter. I'm done. I can't take the t- toxicity I've fought until exhaustion to stem the flow from a knife wound to a young black lad. I've given CPR in front of a family to a young black father, cruelly taken by illness. I favour no skin colour. I took an oath to serve all. Mm. And that is one very fed up police officer. And and his views were mirrored 
Um, you know, the acts, police obviously have a lot of interaction with the black community, as they do in America. Right. And most are quite satisfactory, even in America, where you've got places like Chicago yeah. over Memorial Weekend, 10 murders, 10 mm -hmm. fatal shootings, 60 shootings. Yeah. It's not as if it's like, you remember the America old... is a very violent country. I lived there for 10 years, and I can tell you, I've been to places like South Central Los Angeles, like the south side of Chicago, like the Bronx. I once went with the NYPD on a drugs raid in the Bronx, right? And there were people throwing concrete blocks off the roofs of the building onto the police cars. I mean, that's what it's like. Well, that's right, but it's not as if... You remember the old Carlsberg advert, Mike, where you got the phone ringing in the complaints office? Oh, yeah. Now, it's not as if, that, say, in Chicago or any American inner city, you've got police control rooms where they're all sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Right. Because you will have people from the black community ringing police mm. for help. Yeah. And that help will, most of the time, be given. Now, there is an issue in America with training police officers, some of the training that they, they have to... Some forces have got their own training, which yeah. is reasonable. But you can go to a college and get a police certificate, do a gun course, yeah. and all of a sudden you can apply for jobs in policing. Right. I mean, that, that's... No, listen, there's no question there. that there's a massive problem in America with police and racism. There's no question about that. But what that has to do with marching about uh, during the midst of a pandemic in London, uh, saying no justice, no peace and solidarity. I mean, not helped by Keir Starmer, by the way, uh, who says uh, that he uh, says George Floyd must not become just another name. His shocking death should be the catalyst for change to build a better society. We must stand together against racism and injustice. Now, if I'm an idiotic sort of squatter lefty from Dalston Junction, I'm going to go, oh, look, Keir Starmer says I should go out and demonstrate against this. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what really is annoying is the fact that the police, yes, things do go wrong. And whenever things go wrong, they're highlighted. Yesterday, for example, again, linked to the demonstration, linked to America, you had a video of a young black lad. He looked about 14. Mm being put in the back of a police van. There were quite a few coppers there. We yeah. don't know why it was being put there. This but is this in was, London. This was in London. Yeah. Uh, this was headed, and it was all over, so police brutality. Yeah. Now, I couldn't see any brutality myself. Now, this we didn't know why he was being put in a van. He was searched, put in a van. Now, he could have been, he could have been one of the young lads who's gone missing from home, parents or mum, yeah. carers reported him missing. He's got involved in county lines. Police have seen him. He's 14. He looks 14. So what are they going to do? They're not going to leave him on the streets. Mm. He didn't want to go. He was effing and blinding. The police tried to persuade him in the back of the van. He was gently pushed in the back of the van. But yeah. the heading on Twitter was police yeah. brutality. You see, this is my worry about these upcoming demos because they've, they've advertised and on social media that on Wednesday there's another, uh, what they're calling a peaceful demo, but, you know, that's really uh, in the lap of the gods, to be honest. Another one on Saturday, another one on Sunday. I mean, surely Sadiq Khan should be saying to these organisations, this is not on. You know, yes, we live in a democracy, but under the circumstances in which we are currently dealing, i.e. a worldwide pandemic of coronavirus, you're not allowed to do it. Yes, he should. I mean, I think they, I think the problem that the police have got is, of course, if they still turn up as they would, um, then a bit like Extinction Rebellion, um, you won't have enough police to make the arrests right. necessary to, and you, you haven't got the custody facilities or anything else. Right. I think, in fairness, yesterday, Mike, and with Peckham, most of the protesters were peaceful. I yeah. was surprised at how peaceful it was. The danger is, of course, that if you get 
Yeah, but you know as well as I do, Chris, that you get these agent provocateur yeah. types, these yeah. anti-globalists turn up with their balaclavas on, you get the Antifa brigade out there. You know, they look for trouble. They want they want there to be trouble. They do. And the other danger, of course, that if you get a situation as you had in 2011 and if the gangs decide to materialise yeah. and turn up, um, there was something about three years ago in Hyde Park where there was a water fight yeah. and the gangs turned up to that and there was absolute mayhem that the police had to try and sort out. Mm. Uh, the gang stayed away uh, yesterday and Saturday, which was good. Maybe they're doing their own thing. Yeah. But, but obviously, potentially, it is a bit of a powder keg. Yeah. And it's, it's really very hard. If Sadiq Khan did ban it, I suspect they'd turn up anyway. And then you've got the police... What you need are leaders of the, the, you know, the people, the Black Lives Matter people, the community leaders, the people who've got some, maybe got some clout, who turn around and say, no, no, we do not want people like Diane Abbott, people mm. like David Lammy, who will say... Yeah, good luck no. with that. Well, yeah, but that responsibly they should be saying, this is not the time, we know your feelings, mm. don't do it. I suspect they won't do that. Yeah. Um, or organise something out. like, a, you know, let's go to Hyde Park, everybody goes down on one knee or something, and you stay there for as long as you can, um, and then you go home. Yeah, I mean, with a bit of luck, Hyde Park, because it's so spacious, I'm hoping that, yes, people will see sense and will spread out. Mm. But, of course, there are, as you say, there are other protests planned. I think there's one in Parliament Square, uh, one outside the American Embassy, um, where, where social distancing, if numbers turn up, will be very difficult. Mm. Um, and it is a powder keg, and you have to say, you know, you, you really would like to think that the, the leaders would be responsible and say, no, we really shouldn't be doing this at this moment in time. And as you say, Hyde Park, fine, space yourselves, go down on one knee, and, and yeah, that's what, that's what should happen. But, of course, bearing the brunt of all this, uh, we're absolutely sick of it. I have to say, as, as that tweet said, are oh, the police, and they are fed up with being bitten, spat at, coughed on, uh, over the last few weeks and now they've got this stick and abuse they're getting on top and uh, yeah you can understand morale is, is perhaps sagging a little mm. yes i'm not at all surprised chris thank you as ever for talking to us chris hobsbawm a metropolitan police officer there is no doubt in anybody's mind um that what happened in minneapolis was an absolute disgrace and that american police forces really need to get to grips with the racism that seems to still exist in many parts of what they do however this is london uh, this is Britain, and we do not need a bunch of Antifa idiots in balaclavas causing trouble, trying to get the police to be provoked into beating them, hitting them, arresting them in some violent way so that they can claim police brutality. We don't need it. Uh, Sadiq Khan, you should do something about it because you're the mayor of London and you should be discouraging these people from having these kinds of demonstrations, which, apart from anything else, are dangerous when you're asking people to socially distance. It's dangerous. 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. Peter, very good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning to you too. Now, I'd have to say, my travels over the weekend, I went down to Sussex to see my children and my dog. Uh, you we, finally went? Uh, I did, yes. And we had a barbecue, which was very nice. But the traffic, quite frankly, was as if there had been no lockdown. Um, the beaches that I saw from Bournemouth to Brighton to Durdle Door uh, and up in Richmond, uh, Yorkshire, the, the, the waterfalls up there, it seems as though an awful lot of people seem to have forgotten that there even is a lockdown. Well, yeah, that's a point. Uh, true, and uh, you're quite right. If you announce a change on a Monday, then you can't be really surprised if people assume that it's already in effect on right. the previous Saturday and Sunday. That mm. was asking for it. I, I imagine they knew it would happen. Yes. Uh, there's been precious little uh, so far that I've heard of, of people demanding that we all go back to, uh, to the previous situation because everybody behaved irresponsibly, but maybe I, I've missed something. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think that, that that was expected. I think the government probably realised that although the, the, the thing isn't widely politically understood for what it is, it is becoming extremely irksome. And in weather like this, to try and confine people to, to, to their own yeah. homes and their own immediate circle for much longer would simply have created an explosion. Uh, so I think they, they, they've, just, they've just given way on that. But the thing itself, the, the restraint of trade, the prevention of people from, from working and from running businesses still continues. The pubs sort of open, but they, they open for takeaway. Mm. Uh, restaurants, similarly, they can, they can do takeaway, but they can't actually open their dining rooms. And that's a big thing for them. And an awful lot of workplaces remain closed or heavily restricted with ridiculous uh, ridiculous regulations about how far people can sit from each other and mm. wearing masks and all kinds of other futile rubbish, uh, which makes it almost impossible to act normally and in many cases to to, to act in a way that even breaks even if you're, if you're an actual Yes, person. but I imagine that uh, over the course of the next two weeks and certainly over the course of the entire month of June, when we're talking at the end of this month, I'm sure things will have been much more normalised because I was saying to somebody earlier on on the show, I, I went past a pub in Vauxhall uh, uh, on Friday and basically there were people sitting outside on picnic tables having got their takeaway beer from a from a window uh, yeah. two, two yards away and they were sitting outside this pub not two metres apart um, as if they were just in a pub as it would normally be now of course there's not as many people there as they would normally be but it's as if that pub has now opened as far as I'm concerned are you, are you up to point yes but if the um it, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. I don't think, especially if the weather changes, uh, it doesn't do all that much for the pub trade. I had a, a, a really 
withering letter over the weekend from mm. uh, uh, from a guy who runs a pub in, in Farringdon in Oxfordshire, saying that the whole thing had been absolute ruination for yeah. him. Yeah, and many and people. I mean, I've got I've got friends. It's really in... serious for an awful lot of people. This is this is their livelihood, and yeah. it has been taken away. And a, a, a slight loosening of the bonds doesn't actually do it for most of them. No, but I wonder, as 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 with every week that goes by, whether the loosening of the bonds by the government is being done in the way that it's being done, for two reasons: one, for them to avoid any kind of blame if it all goes horribly wrong, and if for some reason there is a second peak, which is beginning to look less and less likely because it's not happening in any of the other places where lockdown was lifted, and two, it's because they they genuinely don't want to have to tell people precisely what to do. They're sort of hoping, like this weekend, the public rises up and just does what it wants. Uh, somebody put this very cleverly. I don't know who it was, but they said that the the, the public were leading the government out yeah. of the shutdown rather than the other way around. I think that's what they want. I think, I think that's deliberate. These people are fundamentally irresponsible. Mm. Uh, the people who are in charge of us, they're not. They, they are not willing to take responsibility. I, I, I'd contrast. I, I, I think we were discussing last week the, the virtues of saying sorry. Well, she hasn't got anything like as far enough mm. for me. But Ernest Solberg, the, the Prime Minister of Norway. Uh, last week went on TV and said um, and said that it had, it had been a, a panic. I probably took many of the decisions out of fear. Yeah. Uh, and it, was it necessary to close schools? Perhaps not. Yeah. I, I think this. What we need from our leaders is is admissions of this kind. Yeah. Admissions of recognitions that they got it wrong. They, they can't lead us out of it until they do. One of the things which continues to perplex me is this: what I call the ratnerization of public transport. Governments have quite rightly spent billions of pounds, not nothing like as many billions as I would like uh, over the past uh, 20 or 30 years on doing something to upgrade our very tatty uh, and inadequate public transport system. And now the, the Prime Minister has gone on television uh, a couple of weeks ago to say basically it's not safe to travel on trains or buses. Mm. So while the government is actually, has actually, in effect, renationalized the railways, something I've long urged, and has, has also spent billions on, on, on paying bus companies to send, to send empty buses carting huge loads of fresh air around the cities of the country. Uh, the, the actual proper reopening of the country, which must depend on an awful lot of people using public transport, can't happen because of this ridiculous uh, belief being spread that simply by going on public transport, you risk your, your life and you risk uh, carrying infections to, to other people. It's just not true. Well, I don't know if it's uh, not true. I don't know if you can true. say it's, that. Uh, the, uh, it's certainly... None of this stuff is based on any hard... The whole... Well, yeah, but whole, you'd have to... You'd have to... But rule, is, as we now know, is, 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 is based on conjecture. There's so much of this is, it has been. And, and uh, if you look, and, and I continue to, do, to study it daily, if you look at the figures, particularly from the Centre for, for Evidence-Based Medicine from Oxford University, the virus is actually in... Uh, decline. Yes. It well, I was talking to Professor Carol. Independently of anything that we do. Well, I was talking to Professor Carol Sakura this morning, and there's a report by Reuters from Italy uh, in which one of their uh, epidemiologists is saying that it's practically gone now from Italy. It's still there in a very much weaker form, but I've formulated this hypothesis that it's a bit like a hurricane where it comes into land, and as soon as it hits the land, it weakens. As soon as it goes through a bunch of people, it weakens. And so you end up with, you know, hurricane force winds becoming tropical storm winds and becoming no winds at all. And well, I think that's so. where we go. I, I, have, I can't begin to explain why. Uh, 
but what I do know is that people are making all kinds of assumptions about it. I mean, for instance, this talk of a second peak, well, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but a very underreported statement by Professor Hugh Pennington, mm. uh, a, a very renowned uh, biologist from Aberdeen, microbiologist from Aberdeen University, uh, some, as I say, some weeks ago, so I've seen no evidence to support the idea that there would be a second peak of the virus. Well, this is what I was saying, because certainly it's, it's, it's in, in countries... Not, and yet it's, it, we, we had people going on the, on the BBC on Saturday morning saying, oh, this is terribly dangerous, the government are taking a terrible risk by, making these, uh, by, 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 by loosening the, the rules as they are. And I, it, I just wish these people would be tested more. Mm. Well, I, I wonder as, as well. I wish, I, I wish Professor Neil Ferguson had been tested yeah. more. When he was making his, what now turn out, I think, definitively to have been, how shall I put it, exaggerated prediction. Well, exactly. Well, I, funnily enough, again... Say, well, how do you know this, Professor? Well, well again... What, what are you basing it on? I put this to Professor Carol Sakura, a man who's constantly been um, a voice of reason throughout all of this. And Indeed I said, has, you know, yes. why is it that these um, models that we seem to work with are so wildly inaccurate? And he said... Well, the reason that they exaggerate them so much is that an epidemiologist uh, who gets it wrong and everybody dies doesn't keep his job. Nobody gets sacked for suggesting that loads of people will die and then they don't. Well, that's true enough. But on the other hand, people will die as a result of these mistakes. And as I keep saying, it's, it's, not, it's quite clear that a, a large number of the excess deaths being recorded in the past few weeks are not excess deaths from people who've, who've died of COVID-19. No. Not even excess deaths from people who've been alleged to have died from COVID-19 which is, and, and probably haven't, which is a very large number of people. But excess deaths from people who, were, uh, who, who didn't go to hospital with heart attacks, didn't at attend for, for cancer screenings, or in, in some other way, uh, died, and but I'm not sure that I go along because of yeah, because but, of the the panic measures which have been imposed on the country. But I, I'm not sure I buy all that because one of the reasons that people haven't been going to A and E in as large numbers is partly due to other reasons as well. For example, many many fewer road accidents have taken place because there's been fewer cars on the road. Do you, you know, know, it's quite surprising if you check uh, just how small uh, the the casualty rates from road accidents nowadays are. Uh, they're, they're much, much smaller, for instance, than accidents in the home. Mm -hmm. No, uh, I get as, that. As, but as it's, but it's what I'm saying. I, is it's I, one I of the... check on this at the beginning because I thought it was an interesting yeah. I don't have the figures to hand, but okay. if you look them up, you'll be surprised. Yes. I mean, no, I, but listen. one of them is a tragedy, but it simply isn't that big. I, what I think certainly has happened is that the, 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 the Friday and Saturday night, Saturday night frenzies in, in accident and emergency departments of, of Well, that's because the pubs drugs. are closed. That has undoubtedly been, yeah. been, been much been much reduced but that's not what we're talking about we're here talking about deaths no i know but what what i'm saying is is that you know there are many deaths which are being recorded now as covid19 deaths which are simply not covid19 deaths right yeah, well, now the government have admitted that yes I mean, the, but the, i don't the, understand the, why they keep counting them because it's almost as if heaven forfend they're trying to make us more frightened than we should be i think i mean how can i put this <laughs> i think that there might have been uh, a feeling at the beginning of this uh, that it would help the, um, the, the help public obedience of, yes. of the rules if the figures were, how should I put it, stated as as emphatically as possible. Yes. I'm not trying to make yes. Sense. No, I think I see what you're saying. Uh, but I, I think that habit has remained, and the problem is they've they've well, it's got worse. As a result of having what seemed to me to be extremely lax rules about uh, about recording who died of COVID. Yeah. They've got totals, which now look much worse than yeah. they really were. I, I know about this thing because I remember for, for a long time I had a, a, a major uh, 
doubt about the, the crime statistics, which mm. were being widely believed. And people said, oh, come on, people don't, don't make up or fiddle crime statistics. And eventually, uh, the House of Commons Select Committee came out with a report which established beyond doubt that the police had been doing so. Yes. And all the details of what they'd done. So well, I, they massage all statistics. The they? first rule of statistics is if it's politically important, it will be fiddled. Yes. And I think that we may find that, that when the, 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 what I hope will be the major judicial inquiry into this mess uh, takes place, that this will be one of the things which is examined. The problem is, of course, that because so many people are cremated and there is no conceivable possibility, mm. even, if it were, even if it were thinkable, of actually going back on many of these assessments, no one will ever know how many of those recorded as having died of COVID-19 uh, did in fact uh, die of something else. Yes. But, but, may but, have I, but I think the bottom, the bottom line in all of this, Peter, for me, is that it depends on how it plays out economy-wise and in terms of the final number. Because I think if the economy recovers, and I know that you and I differ slightly on that, if the economy recovers, and there's no sign yet, of, of course there are people who are suffering, and of course there are people whose businesses have been ruined, but there are also people who are thriving. You know, we're talking today uh, about reports of something like 160 63, uh, sorry, 126 million beers, 20 million burgers, 60 million sausages being stocked by the supermarkets. You know, that's an awful lot of money. Uh, and I've, I'm going to give you a quote here. You might have seen this in the Times at the weekend uh, from Anders Tegnell, the Swedish uh, state epidemiologist. He basically says this, at the end of this, we might look at each other and realise, no, whatever we did didn't make much of a difference. The Swedish model or the British model or the Dutch model, all of them, in the end, they just took a shorter or longer time. And the effects on society and the economy were different, but the health well, consequences no might be very similar in the end. I yield to no one my admiration for Anders Tegnell's mm. uh, skills as, uh, as an epidemiologist and for his courage in standing up against what must have been very considerable pressure to, to go further than, yeah. than he did. But what but he's I basically saying... whether he's looked in any, any great detail at the books of the British economy. Uh, most of the people who are doing so at the moment, I think, come away white-faced... Yeah, no, I know, but what I'm saying is, is that what, what we have done, and the problem with these things is, it doesn't have an instant effect on your street. You will not see now the effects of, of, of all the money that has, has ceased to circulate, of all the money that's been borrowed that doesn't exist, all the, the sustaining of jobs which wouldn't otherwise have been sustained. Quite the reverse. Again, you don't see it, but the, the, eventually, Rishi Sunak has to come to the country with his first emergency budget. And when he does that, that's when you'll see it. And I think it's, it's uh, we can disagree as much as we like, mm. and there isn't much point in doing so. I say, wait a bit. Yes. Uh, if you, no, absolutely. If you, if, you think, if you think that I'm wrong about the economy, stick around. And if I'm wrong, then you have me back on, and I will, <laughs> and I will grovel in public. No, no, there's no having, need for that. Having spread alarm and despondency over a non-existent no. problem. No, I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm that, That's what I will listen, do. Listen, I know but you would I, do, I will because... I be pleased to do so, because I, if, if our economy survives this... In, in, in a better state than I fear, then, then I'll be glad to grovel. Listen, you, won't, you certainly won't need to grovel, but I know you to be an honourable man and I would expect nothing less. But more interestingly, I was enjoying your tweet yesterday when you said that since our conversations have begun, you've put on half a stone. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that uh, I've probably done the same, um, although you wouldn't notice it so much on me because I'm a bit larger than I used to be. But, um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we are now creatures of the lockdown. Um, as I was driving back... Uh, home from having visited my children in Sussex, looking around London, more and more pubs are opening up, more and more fast food uh, joints are opening up. There's, it feels like there's, a, there's something happening uh, which is taking us out of it, though, don't you think? 
Well, it's partly that, but I mean, the, the real problem is, is working from home, which I've always known. I've done it twice before. I did it in Moscow. I did it in Washington, D.C. You, you're too close to the refrigerator. Yes. You feel like making yourself a nice tomato sandwich, then that's what you do. Yeah. If you're at work, you don't do that. Mm. So it, it's not... And what is the work situation? Because it also, it's, it's another illustration of, of a point I ceaselessly make to people. that Exercise does not keep your weight down. I probably have more exercise in, yes. in the past few months than I've had for some time because I'm able to go on sustained, long, flat-out bike rides yeah. of the kind which commuting doesn't really allow you to do. And so I'd probably fitter, but also fatter. Yes. But well, it, I mean, undoubtedly, this kind of the way of life of where I'm working from home and, and never far from, from, from the fridge yeah. uh, does, uh, does result, unless you've got the most tremendous self-discipline, mm. which I don't possess, uh, it makes you fatter. Yeah. And, and, and what are you hearing about? It's an interesting way of, of, of recording time, really. How yes. Many, how many pounds and ounces <laughs> have I, uh, has, has this thing lasted? For? Right. And what about the, the work situation? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm currently in a studio uh, with, amongst a very small number of people who are working in the News UK building at London, uh, London Bridge. Uh, you would normally be going to Kensington, uh, where Associated Newspapers headquarters is. Are they operating with, with hardly anybody at all? Are they operating it's, with everybody? Some people are going home? back. Yeah. I mean, there are complications, um, particularly those affecting people like me who are long-distance commuters, Yes, um, which I won't go into in detail, but I mean, I, I, I do intend and hope I would like to be back now, but yeah. it, for, 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 for various reasons, mm. I can't be. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that gradually sanity will, maybe the pubs being open will make the country more sane. Yes. Uh, but whatever it is, um, I'm hoping that sanity will eventually make it easier for me to, to, to start going back into the office five yes. days a week again. And how amused were you by the shenanigans of Her Majesty's Press last week? I know you know you wrote this weekend about Dominic Cummings and how glad you were that he didn't get fired. But we've now seen a kind of a constant stream of people uh, from various parts of the political divide who seem to have been ignoring the lockdown. Well, I think I, this is one of the things which I mean, I, I, I'm so completely against people being pursued for, mm. for behaving in normal ways. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't I, I, I didn't want um Dominic Cummings to be fired or in any way disciplined because I don't I, what the point about what he did was really that he demonstrated what I've suspected for a long time which is that the people at the heart of this everybody who really understands everything they do not believe uh, this any more than I do mm. in practice they may pretend to believe it in public but in reality, they know it's ludicrous. Well, when the chips are down, I guess they make a decision which is not necessarily well, based on, on what they... A much, much better demonstration of their real opinions yes. than anything they say. Yes. And they, 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 they say, but I, I, I would imagine huge numbers of people have, have made large or small breaches of the rules over yeah. the past couple of months. Uh, and by and large, they've been lucky with their neighbours who haven't dogged them in. But it's. Um, but thank goodness for that, because do you really want to live in a sort of Stasi-inspired East no. Germany? I think it would be horrible, and yeah. that's another, another reason why I would not join in the Cummings frenzy. I said, basically, this is founded on somebody informing on him, yeah. and uh, do you want to, do you want to reward that? And one I of those people, it turns out, made it up. Well, yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, the whole thing is so full of complexity. I think I'll just I'll just keep out of that if I might. Yes, no, absolutely right. Especially so, on air. So now, as far as the whole situation goes with this government, you know, you say that they are irresponsible, deeply I irresponsible. Um, that's quite an allegation to make against a, a government that I would say is trying to do the best uh, they can do to get us out of this horrible mess and who are certainly not doing any worse, really, in real terms than any other country. 
Well, I just, and they're irresponsible because they're immature and poorly educated uh, and, uh, and have no real uh, either moral or political foundation to their actions. Uh, it's, it's not, it, that's the, the problem with modern politics is, it, is it these, as somebody once quite correctly described, it's show business for ugly people. Yeah, uh, it's, that's it's true. A place, it's a place where people can show off, uh, where, where they can get paid far more than they deserve for doing far less than most people have to do, uh, and where they, can, where, where they can also assuage their vows. Yeah, I mean, the media has many resemblances to this, but, but for good or ill, well, most of us in the media have very little responsibility. We certainly don't control vast budgets or, or, or decide what, what uh, bills go before Parliament and all these very important things that governments do, and we don't make regulations of the kind that this government does. And, and, and therefore, what we have got is we've got irresponsible people in very responsible jobs. But what you've and also it's, got was... It's, it's their fault. They, they wanted these jobs. They went into ugly show business, uh, wanting very much to have the top jobs, and they got them. When they got them, they suddenly found that they involved responsibilities they couldn't cope with. And that, I think, is what has happened. Yes, and I think that may well be true of this particular situation, but this particular situation is so unprecedented. I know you and I differ on this, but it has never happened in my lifetime that this kind of terrible crisis has afflicted the entire world. Well, on the I mean, contrary, it has happened. And as, as, as we know, the 68 to 69 Hong Kong flu was much worse. Uh, but governments. Well, I was alive then, right? And I was. I was in this fashion as a result. They seemed, it, it wasn't. People largely were unaware of it. And if you look at, uh, at the fascinating website in proportion, you'll find that previous flu epidemics. And yes, I know coronavirus isn't flu. Previous flu, flu epidemics have, have, have had very similar uh, peaks to this. Most Western European health services get very close to being overwhelmed mm -hmm. uh, it's, on, in several winters. In any but given let me case. let me it ask you this. Time. No, this but in hang on. New. No, but in sixty-eight, sixty-nine, Peter. Not. It's simply the scale of it does not yeah, justify but, the action. It's out of proportion. That's always been the problem. All right, but in sixty-eight, sixty-nine, we lived in a very different Britain. Right? We had yeah. a much smaller population. We had a much, much less craven media. We didn't have social media. We didn't have internet access. We didn't have twenty-four-seven news. We didn't have the ability to know every single thing and every single coffin split that the government did. We certainly didn't have a daily briefing from the government in 68-69 about what was going on. And they could get away with a lot more, quite frankly. All, you, all you're saying is true, but that doesn't suggest that the crisis is worse. It's just the conditions in which it happens. Fascinatingly, actually, if you look back over that time, the things we were obsessed with were strikes and the balance of payments. Well, the only thing I remember about 1968 was Manchester United winning the European Cup and watching well, George can't, Best I and Dennis Law. You know. I have other, <laughs> other more, more colourful memories of it than you, but that's because I, I was a revolutionary Marxist at the time. But it, it, <laughs> what, in 1968? I wasn't particularly concerned with the flu. Right. Uh, but it, it, what, the point you're making is not the, 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 the disease hasn't changed. Its ability to kill and make people seriously ill hasn't changed. So what's uh, changed, what changed is the media. The kind of society we are, and in some ways, it seems to me it's changed for the worse. Yes, I agree with we're that. We're less able to cope with this than we were, in, and we're a less mature, uh, less responsible society. And I'd say politics... Um, there's a, do you remember a, a Labour politician called Cleveland Hughes? Yes. Well, he had, um, he had a, a terrible... Um, I'd say terrible. I mean, he had a... He had a, 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 um, a a, a big birthmark on his face. Yeah. And I remember being told, and this, this hugely raised him in my estimation, because it was a great joke against himself, when colour television had begun to come in, he'd say, well, that's my political career done for. And actually, oddly enough, um, before television became a major 
uh, a major part of politics before Parliament was televised and before so many debates were held on television. Uh, politics wasn't show business for rugby people right. in the way that it is now. No. And, it, and it, it attracted a different sort of person. Also, we had a better educated population. But I, 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 well, I, actually, yeah, no, I think, actually, we, no, we had a much worse educated population. That's part of the problem. We've now got all these jumped up sort of, you know, people with degrees who think they know a lot. And actually, they're as thick as two short planks. And many of them are overeducated. And I think that's the problem. But let's finish with a, with a, with a, um, an, an agreement. I think we can agree on this, that the reason why it's different now is because governments now try to manage expectations, which they never did in the 60s. Yes, I think, I think people, people ask and expect more of politicians. Yeah. And, but politicians, instead of saying, no, we're not capable of that, they encourage this illusion yeah. that they are more important and powerful than they are. Yes, I think that's right. Peter, a pleasure as ever. Thank you very much indeed. I'll see you next week. Uh, try not to eat too many tomato sandwiches. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are here all week, of course, broadcasting to you from the top of the tower uh, here overlooking the Thames near the Shard. Uh, when we're all back to normal, of course, uh, you can come and have a look. Uh, not necessarily inside, but you can come and look from the outside. You can see us from the outside. In fact, if you go to the restaurant at the top of the tower opposite us, which is near the cheese grater known as the walkie-talkie, um, you can see us. You just look across and we'll give you a wave. Be that simple. Uh, it is, of course, just after 12.30. Let us now do what we do every day at this time, which is to do some homeschooling, because many of you might have been sending your children back to school today, but many of you will still not be doing that. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we're joined by Keith Cooper, editor of astronomynow.com, uh, who's going to talk to us about the solar system. Keith, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mike, as well. Yes, it's a very good time for me to be talking to you, actually, because um, we watched, or most people, I think, uh, listening to this, will have watched the SpaceX rocket going up on uh, the weekend, which was a thrill, uh, I think, for all of us to see, because I think it's the first time since, is it 2011, that uh, a manned spaceship has gone from American soil uh, up into space, and they've now docked already with the International Space Station. Um, so it's very exciting times for the solar system. Yeah, that's correct. That's That was the first launch from American soil since the retirement of the shuttle, as you said, in 2011. Um, NASA astronauts and European astronauts have been going to the space station since then on the Russian Soyuz capsules. Um, so, you know, the advent of this new Crew Dragon capsule from SpaceX really, you know, means we're, NASA aren't reliant on, on the Russians anymore to, to be able to get into space. Mm. So, you know, They've just gone to the International Space Station. It's just in orbit. Whether you know in the next decade, Elon Musk will want to go further afield, maybe back to the moon, or he wants to go to Mars. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, is it a bit of a game changer for for, for you guys who who study space and who look up and see things that we ordinary mortals don't see? I mean, the fact that sort of space exploration is back on the agenda. Potentially. Um... I mean, you know, this is the first time that, you know, astronauts have gone into space, you know, to the space station on a, on a essentially a private spacecraft, mm. the SpaceX spacecraft. Before then, it's always been uh, Russian or, or NASA capsules. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on, on, on what happens with uh, commercial space flight and commercial space exploration. You have Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic. Mm. There's... Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, has his own space program, Elon Musk. So we could see in the next decade or so that uh, commercial missions um, overtake sort of the, the national uh, missions. 
and that we may find that you know the the, the first people to land on Mars, for example, uh, are not necessarily NASA astronauts, but they could be SpaceX astronauts. Mm, um, so this you know potential opens it up to a lot more people. Um, you still have to be rich though to, to go into space. So unfortunately, you know. Normal people aren't going to be able to go just yet. <laughs> no, quite. Now, let's talk about the solar system, because the first question everybody always asks me is, is Pluto a planet or not? Because it seems to me it was a planet, and then it wasn't one, and now it is one again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dwarf planet, which uh, doesn't really help answer your question, really. Um, it's a big divide. Um, some people, some astronomers think it is a planet, others don't. Hmm. The reason why some people don't think it's a planet is because it's very small, it's very icy, it's very far away. Basically, it, it's in a region we call the Kuiper Belt, which is filled with all the, the flotsam and jetsam, all the debris that made the planet. So basically, some astronomers see Pluto as nothing more than just a bit of debris left over from making the other planets in the solar system. Hmm. Um those astronomers who still like to think of it as a, a planet um, often tend to be uh, American, not exclusively, but America. Uh, it was an American astronomer, Clyde Tombaugh, who discovered uh, Pluto. So I think there's a lot of uh, kinship with Americans and, 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 and Pluto. So they don't like to see it um, downgraded, mm. as, as, as it were. Um, but whatever we call Pluto, it, it hasn't changed. It's still what it is. Um, the New Horizons mission... Uh, which was a NASA mission, flew past it in 2015, took the first ever close-up pictures of Pluto. Um, it looks like a planet. Um, so, like I say, it doesn't really matter what we call no. it. it. It is what it is, and, and we'll, we'll study it. And, 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 in order, and in order to... Learn more about yeah, in order to be in the solar system, presumably you have to have uh, the ability to orbit the sun. Yes, yes. So, technically, the solar system extends all the way maybe to a light year because you have all these little icy bodies, cometary bodies that exist out there and they're very loosely gravitationally bound to the sun, uh, but they're still technically orbiting the sun. It takes a long time for them to do so. Um, so the solar system is quite big. It's, it's a lot bigger than just the eight or, or nine planets, if you want to include Pluto, uh, that we traditionally think of. Yes. Um, the, the Voyager spacecraft that they, they were launched in 1977, they've, They've escaped the sun's sort of magnetic influence. They don't feel the solar wind anymore, um, but they're still in the solar system. You know, they're still only in the Kuiper belt. So uh, space is big. Yes, it is, um, because I'm going to ask you about how many other solar systems there are in a minute. But I was taught when I was at school that the way to remember the solar system and the planets was by that uh, rather silly rhyme. Many very excellent men jump sideways using new plimsolls, uh, which obviously includes Pluto. Yeah. Um, do people still use that? Um, no, <laughs> I haven't heard it spoken for a long time. To be fair, I think I think the downgrading or, or the reclassification of Pluto has spoiled it a little bit. I think uh, some people did try to come up with um, other little rhymes right. that, that didn't involve at the end, but um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't well, know what to do. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always this thing as well that, that astronomers think there might be more planets out there in the solar system. Right. That, you know, that they well, we do. We do this gravitational. I mean, we discover planets quite a lot, don't we? Which which might sometimes be yeah. not just in our solar system, but in other solar systems. That's right. We've discovered over 4,000 what we call exoplanets, which are planets that orbit other stars, mm. uh, stars other than the sun. Um, we found the first one in, in the 90s, and, and now we've got you know several space missions that are looking at these planets and characterising them and discovering them. 
We haven't found any that are um, like Earth, as far as we can tell. Um, they tend to be uh, perhaps you know big giant planets like Jupiter or Neptune. Uh, some are rocky, but but to be like Earth, you have to be at the, just the right distance from your star, so you're not too cold and not too warm. Um, you have to have a, an atmosphere that you know is has oxygen in that you can breathe. It has to have liquid water on the surface. And none of these things, we, we don't know any of these things at the moment. We can't tell whether a planet has an atmosphere or whether it has water. Hopefully NASA's next big space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, which will hopefully launch next year, um, should have the ability to perhaps get some strong hints of, of whether the nearest of these exoplanets may be potentially habitable. Um, so we're starting to slowly enter into that era where, you know, th these distant planets aren't just, you know, little dots of light or little signal in, in whatever observation we're making that hopefully we can start to learn more about them and start to become just as, as real mm. as, as the planets that are in our solar system. Yeah, because presumably it would be pretty idiotic not to believe that there's likely to be other forms of life out there and other planets that could sustain that life. Well, we, we don't know how life began on Earth. Um, so that's kind of a sticking point because until we can rule out that life on Earth wasn't some kind of fluke, um, it's impossible to say whether life could have arisen on another planet. Mm. Um, I certainly hope life did. It might not be like us. It, it, you know, it could be some other completely different form of life to what we are. Um, maybe just microbial life. Maybe maybe there's lots of microbes everywhere, but mm. more complex life like us is, is, is difficult to evolve. We really don't know, and that's right. why one of the reasons we do set, you know, listening for um, you know, signals from from distant stars, hoping that there's somebody out there trying to communicate with us. Yeah, and is it true that the solar system is inevitably dying as it as it stands? It's just kind of winding itself down to the point where the sun ceases to be the sun. Yeah, the sun won't last forever. Um, it's formed 4.6 billion years ago, and, and it's going to have a lifetime of about 10 billion years before it runs out of its, its hydrogen fuel that it uses to create energy and light and heat. Uh, when that happens, it will, it will expand. It will swallow up the inner planets, Mercury and Venus, possibly Earth as well. Uh, and then it will puff off its outer layers and, and, and die, basically. Right. Um, so, you know, that's not for another four or five billion years time so we don't Excellent. have to worry about that but the problem like, the problem for life on earth is that as the sun ages it gets warmer so in about a billion years time if mm. if there's any life still on the planet by then the earth will be too warm for life the oceans will begin to evaporate um so life on earth you know would, would come to an end much faster oh than, so we'll need to know. find some other planet to go and go and live on then yeah, absolutely. I mean, who knows, in a billion years' time, we'll be able to travel to other stars, or, or maybe we'll just be able to migrate further out in, into the solar system. There's, um, you know, there's the, the moons of Jupiter and Saturn have, have oceans underneath a, a crust of ice, and, and as the sun warms up, those moons will warm up as well, and maybe they will become somewhat habitable. So, yes. yeah, there's always a possibility. Well, presumably... It's something we have to worry about. No, I mean, presumably outside, you know, if we go further out from the sun, um, the planets also are warming up, so we could find something that would be more suitable for us to live on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very slow process, but um, yeah, you know, as I said, the, the moons of, of Jupiter would be somewhere we'd want to go and look. I, I mean, the moons of Jupiter now with these oceans is somewhere we'd want to look for life right now. Not not, not intelligent life, but, but it would possibly be some kind of microbial life living 
you know, in those underground oceans. And, and if we found life there, then that would, that would be a major discovery. I mean, yeah, it's only microbes, but it would tell us that life has evolved somewhere else in the solar mm. system from a second origin. And, you know, if life can happen twice in one solar system, it strongly suggests that, that it, you know, life could evolve elsewhere. Yes. And how many solar systems do we know that there are, uh, if we do have a number? Well, if we're talking about a solar system as being a star and its planets, mm. then um, st statistically, it looks like pretty much every star has planets, and there are between 100 and 200 billion stars uh, in, in, in our Milky Way galaxy, and there's 150 trillion galaxies wow. in, in the visible universe. <laughs> so, you know, it could be numbers of, of, of solar systems, really. Yeah. Um, we've barely scratched a surface. It's it's mind boggling, so really, isn't it? I mean, that's what I mean about mere mortals like like us, unlike you guys. I mean, I can't even imagine what that is, or what size that is, or how far that goes, or you know how long it would take to get there, or anything like that, really. Yeah. Oh, hey. I mean, I you know I, I reel off these numbers, but you know, if I actually stop to try and consider how many stars, how many planets, you know, I, I can't really perceive it. No. It's, it's just a number. It might as well be infinity. There's so many. Um, yes. You know, it, it really is vast and it really just, you know, it's a sense of perspective, really. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite planet, Keith? Uh, Saturn, I think. Really? With the rings. With the rings. Yeah, uh, everybody likes the look yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. There was a NASA mission called Cassini that uh, explored it for between 2004 and 2017. It just took some of the most amazing pictures. You think they're right out of science fiction. Uh, with the rings and the moons it's just a wonderful planet yes um but, you know we've got a lot of diversity in the solar system mars jupiter mercury venus our own planet and let's not forget that mm. um so yeah there's tons to explore amazing sights to see amazing discoveries to be had great stuff well i'm sure if anyone's listening to this keith they'll come on to uh, astronomynow.com and explore uh, your great website there thank you so much for joining us thank you for teaching us all that keith cooper there uh, who's the editor of astronomynow.com it's just mind-boggling isn't it i mean you know you think of what's out there as i look out the window and i look up to the sky uh, and i can see a couple of clouds in it i can't see any planes flying because they're not doing much of that at the moment but you know you just have no idea i mean you know you, to infinity and beyond you know, from Toy Story, it doesn't even begin to cover it, for heaven's sake. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show, 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.